if I'm going to sing this sermon, it's going to be a, it's going to be a short sermon. You should have said, sing it to me, shouldn't you? But you didn't, so I'm going to speak it. It's going to take a bit longer. Uh, but praise God, God is good. Um, there's a lot of clapping in those songs, weren't there? Yeah? Do you like clapping? Are you happy, Clappy? No? Not so happy, Clappy? It's interesting, isn't it, about, about clapping? Come and say, I don't, don't do happy, Clappy, you might think. It's not me. Well, if you went to um, a concert or a, a play that you really enjoyed at the end, what would you do? And you'd go on clapping, and you'd say, encore, and they'd have to come out again and again. And if we're talking about God, and all that he's done, and his amazing work in our lives, and the amazing plan that he has, you'd want to clap him, wouldn't you? I've been um, at some services where it just seemed right to give a clap offering. You know? And it was so beautiful. You know, and there is a biblical precedence for, for giving him a clap offering. To clap God for, for all he's done. So, you may not feel happy, but you should feel clappy. <laughs> yeah? And when you're clappy, it actually makes you feel a bit happy. Yeah? <laughs> It's really difficult to clap with a miserable face. Yeah? I'm not going to put it to a test because you all look happy at the moment. So, yeah. But we should feel liberated in our, in our worship. There's times we, we don't clap. and uh, Some uh, worship is very much um, more reflective, isn't it? More, it, it makes us think and uh, it challenges us. So that's, uh, that's wonderful. That's not what I've come to talk about. Yeah? Um, neither is that. It's, a, it's another sermon from another occasion. In fact, <laughs> it's last Sunday, and there's another church. Yeah. Praise the Lord. It would be very easy to spend a long while and just give scripture after scripture talking about the Old Testament foretelling the coming of Jesus. I mean, it's all there about the coming of Jesus. The coming of Jesus was uh, planned and uh, in God's heart and, and, and the, the operation was, was, was there. It was, it was organized long before a word of the Old Testament was ever penned, even before creation itself was the plan of redemption. It wasn't an afterthought when, when Adam had sinned and then, then we'd all be born into sin, that God sort of think, well, let's, we need a, a, a second plan. This is all part, creation and salvation, we're all part of God's intent because of his foreknowledge that you and I would need a saviour. Hallelujah. And uh, it hasn't changed. I, I need a saviour. I am saved and I am being saved. I'm being saved from the, the, the things that um, happen around me and uh, I'm being saved from my 
incomplete sanctification. That's, uh, I, I need to be more sanctified. And I say lovingly, so do you. Yeah. Made a little bit more like Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Like a great artist. He comes in this morning and he, he looks at his painting. And he says, oh, I can just do a little bit more work there. Yeah. And he's even more beautiful. Yeah. Lovely to see you, by the way. Yeah, Keith. Yeah. Praise God, isn't it? Keith always uh, lifts my heart whenever I see him, when I, I know all that God has done in, in his life and is doing. So, praise God. It is a bit early to think about our Christmas, really, isn't it? Yeah? When we were, we were in, in Rye, and uh, the week before last, and as we, we walked into Rye, we went past this little house. There was a, some, some terrace cottages, they were Shaftesbury cottages, so you can realise how old they were. And uh, they were a bit run down, but in, in one, it said, 70, in, a, in a little thing, 78 days to Christmas. <laughs> and the next time we walked past, it was 77 days to Christmas. So it was being updated. It must be about 70 days to Christmas now, I reckon. Um, but the coming of Jesus, uh, it, 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 we should never, ever um, sort of tire about thinking about Jesus and his coming into this world. And he's coming into our life today. That's the relevant part, isn't it? You know, if, if, if all I'm going to talk about is some historical fact and we're just going to look at some scriptures and uh, we're going to say yes it's all, this, is, this word is all about how it changes me yeah what it does to my heart it's truth isn't it and so we need applied truth that makes me different and uh, it's a living word I was only thinking of that this week in a different context but the truth needs to become alive in me. It needs to be almost incarnate in me. Am I, am I being irreligious when I say that? That the word becomes life within you and me. Yeah? The living word lives in us. And that's the wonder, isn't it? If it lives in me, it, it, it influences everything I do. If it's just another set of facts I know then that goes into that library of knowledge so the, the coming of Christ it was the, the greatest actual act there was I'm talking about the coming meaning everything including his crucifixion and resurrection the greatest act there's ever been in this world, ever since creation, ever since God spoke and there was, there's been nothing greater than the, the coming of Jesus, the incarnation of Christ. In the Old Testament, you know, God, God through his prophets, they foretold the coming of a Messiah, one who would save us. Jesus knew what we needed. Jesus knew I needed a saviour. And he presented one, he gave one. 
but by faith that we could believe in. And so, you know, some people say that this, the Old Testament here is, uh, is Jesus concealed and the New Testament is Jesus revealed. But when you've actually found Jesus, he's not very well concealed in the Old Testament, is it? Yeah? He's on almost every page. And it talks about his life and, and, and about the power of blood. Yeah? What sacrifice really meant and uh, what atonement was. And what it was to, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit didn't just appear in Acts 2. He was around. And he was at work. And so, it, it's, it, for me, this is a really lovely subject. And I only want to choose two, two scriptures. I could have chosen many. Um, and it's in Isaiah 7.14 and Micah 2.5. You know them both well. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Hallelujah. We all need signs, don't we? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel. Hallelujah. Yeah? Micah 2 says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you, Bethlehem, will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old from ancient times. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is from him. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That was 700 years before Christ. Talking about waiting for a long while, that was a, some wait, wasn't it? For that to actually happen. Micah one was even older, that was around 800 years. Um, how many of you went on walk through the Bible? We didn't make it, yeah? Were there many who went walk through the Bible? Yeah? Did you enjoy it? Yeah? You realise about all these prophecies, where they came in terms of... Because unless you know the, the sort of the, the chronology of, of the, the whole Bible, you think that all prophecies are sort of on top of one another, and they're not. They're spread over hundreds of years. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you were small among the clans of Jordan, small among uh, the clans of Judah, rather, out of you will come one for me, yeah, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old. And both of these are obviously fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. Both are amazing. Both are a bit strange. <laughs> in as much they're not what you would expect or you or I would write if we were planning this greatest thing that, that is imaginable. What does it say about God, these two prophecies? And what does that mean to you and me? That Jesus should be born in such an insignificant place, in the back end of nowhere, 
in a small town and then born to a a young girl a virgin yet to be married though betrothed Bethlehem was just a, a small place five miles south of Jerusalem it wasn't Jerusalem the major I made the mistake of in putting two and two together and said it must be in Jerusalem that a king has been born mm-hmm. it's not dusty little town the home of David Bethlehem Beth means house or place of bread a small town where the bread of life would come. Hallelujah. God uses, that's that's insignificant. God uses the insignificant for the significant. Mary, the young unmarried girl, insignificant. Though she was righteous and good and wonderful, faithful, Both Bethlehem and Mary both play a significant path. Both are hugely blessed in the sense that a star should rest over Bethlehem and Jesus should be born in such a humble way there. Yes, heralded by angels, used to shepherds and everything we know about the wonderful story. To a, a young a young girl first born vulnerable not in a um a maternity unit or anything like that. Both insignificant, made to be significant, both hugely blessed, both to be highly thought of, but not in a sense to be venerated or worshipped. God just used them to bring Jesus into the world. So what do we understand from that? Jesus came into a really hostile place. You know, where there were Romans that were running the place, there were those zealots that were like um, terrorists, there were religious Jews that wanted nothing to know about this Messiah, they were blind as bats. Herod wanted to try and kill. The Jews would, would forcibly deny that this Jesus should come into his, I think it's like coming into the Donbass region of, of Ukraine at the moment. He would come into such a place. Was he born? Or did he pre-exist? He wasn't a baby in heaven, was he? He was with God at creation. 
The Word became flesh and was born as a baby. Just think on that, that God could actually do that. In a certain, make himself so vulnerable. The Word became flesh. It needed an earthly mother and an earthly father. Would any king come in that way? And as the the old carol says in the cattle shed, what's this say about God? About the way that he, he, he works? What does it mean to you and me that the king of glory should commit himself to such a such a course of action. But he chose almost obscurity. Yet he came from heaven. He wasn't dependent upon anything in heaven. He was God. This makes this 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 whole unraveling of the will and purposes of God so amazing. He didn't ask for possessions, position or pedigree. He said the shepherds became the heralds, not some Reuters news agency or Sky News. We get a little news flash on the bottom, don't you? I get it on my phone sometimes. News flash, breaking news. There was none of that. Some shepherd boys in a in a field late at night. He made his dwelling among us. Hallelujah. And what I'm 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 getting at is that God chose the simple, the humble, and the insignificant. And as you read this, you see in, in, in Moses, he uses an abandoned Hebrew baby to become a deliverer. In David, the youngest of seven, a shepherd boy, he chooses the greatest king of Israel. In Samuel, not yet weaned, well, when just weaned, was given to Eli to serve in the temple and become one of the greatest prophets of Israel. In Peter, an ordinary fisherman, he raises up to be a great Apostle. And it goes on, doesn't it? Gideon, Joseph, even me, even you. Don't get me wrong when I say he chooses the the insignificant or the humble. But he does. 
to work out his glorious purposes. Could you say hallelujah to that? Yeah? That should make you feel happy and clappy. But he's not, he's not looking at, at, at for people to come out of some great educational establishment or be born of a certain line or to have some sort of pedigree. He takes crossbreeds like me and you and says, I can do something with you. Something so amazing. It teaches me to believe in the impossible and nothing's too hard or too difficult with God. In Zechariah 4.10, he says, don't despise the day of the small things. You know, the, the, the second temple was being built and it wasn't a patch on Solomon's temple. You know, they just got back into Jerusalem and Cyrus had given them the permission to go back and, and to build. And they'd built this temple and yeah, I'm sure it was lovely. But the older ones who could remember the old one, gay. Yeah. This isn't the real thing. How can you compare this with that? And Zachariah says, or God says, who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord, the all-knowing God, that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel, when they see the final plate of stone being put in place. What was the final stone in your salvation if it wasn't Jesus, when Jesus was put in place and he came? That we had this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. That's talking about you and me. So where does that where does that leave us? In the Old Testament, God chose the simple to confound the wise. So in one Corinthians one. 27, but God chose the foolish things to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. You know, I think in, in Christianity, I, I love it. The older I get, the more I love this because it is so simple. Just, just don't be anything other than what God makes you. Don't try and be sophisticated. Don't try and be clever. Just open your life to God. Let him use you. Stop wishing you were someone else. Stop saying, I can't. Start believing that he can. And he will and he wants to. Stop writing yourself off. Stop it. In the name of Jesus. Stop thinking, if only I was young. If only I wasn't as achy and uh, immobile as I am. Stop thinking, if only I'd have done that, I wouldn't be this. You put your hands into this amazing God 
who can do far more than you could ever ask or imagine. The wonder of the story is that Jesus gave up everything that we who have nothing might gain everything. Hallelujah. He did it for that reason. He gave it that he who was eternal should taste death, that we who deserve death might live eternally. Hallelujah. He did it that we who knew no sin, he paid the price of sin, that we who have sinned may be pardoned. Hallelujah. He who was light came into a dark place that we who were dark might receive his light. He existed in perfect freedom and took upon himself the limitations of, of humanity that we might receive freedom. Hallelujah. He gave up his home in heaven that we one day would receive that home a prepared place. And perhaps the most wonderful, the word became flesh, that this old flesh might receive the word, that I might become the embodiment of this wonderful story and be a living epistle. What do we understand from it all? That he doesn't care about you? That you are worthless? That you're left without hope? That somehow you're on some old scrap heap of humanity? I nearly, I was nearly there but not quite. And the maker looks at it and says, oh, second, another second. No. No. He says that he can give you newness of life today. He says that small things matter. My life was like that. That, 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 that small things have always led to, to different and bigger things. I love this and I close with this. There's a promise in the Bible in Deuteronomy 28. Let me read it. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty, to send rain on the land in the season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations and you will borrow from one. That's lovely. You're borrowing, you're taking from God and you can give to many. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you apply attention to the commands of the Lord your God, I give you this day and carefully follow them. You will always be at the top, not the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods or serving them. I don't mean that it's really... What you're saying is I can make the insignificant significant. 
You may feel like the tail, but I can make you the head. I can do it for my glory. Yeah? You can influence your family. You can be influenced. You can be an influencer in your world. Because God chooses those. It is. It's just that those that are available. So what does this story tell you in, in, in three words? Loved by God. He came because you're loved by God. The work he did was because you're loved by God. And what he's doing in you now is because you are loved by God. I'm going to pray. I think we're having a song. I did promise that we could anoint with, with oil anyone who is sick. If we could, in the final prayer, perhaps I could, I could do that. Yeah. God bless you all. Father, Lord, it's a wonder. Lord, no man can get his, his, his mind around this. If we were to write a story this would be too outlandish to be believable, Lord. But you did it. You did it that, that, that the humble and the simple would be able to embrace it and believe it. And become part of it. You draw us into the story. So, Father, may we be moved by you. Would you come afresh into our lives and lift of anything that restricts us from being everything you want us to be. May, Father, every chain that binds be broken. Every curse and negative word be lifted from our lives. Anything that inhibits your word from being a reality and your will coming about in our lives. Father, would you remove it in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen.